1: Plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's. Yeah. They have asked for that, really.
2: France are going to the World Cup. Get over This fella Ronaldo oh, no. is a cop.
1: Boom, 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 the foul. Boom, boom, boom,
3: yellow card.
2: Nah, that's actually. Don't I have to ask you to remind your language. And and I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good luck. I don't draw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd rather draw punches. What you doing down here, you showing man? <laughs>
3: Okay, okay, okay. I know the Manchester City players were genuinely thrilled for Willie Caballero yesterday, and it was a hell of a story, you know, uh, repaying Pellegrini's faith by making all those saves in the shootout. But you do have to tread very carefully when Yaya Torre's feelings are involved, lads. I'm not so sure the big man would have been overjoyed at being completely ignored by his teammates mm-hmm. as they went racing after the reserve goalkeeper. Owen Murphy and Ken here with today's Irish Times Second captain's Football Podcast. Hello, they're on. Yeah, there you I mean, at least one player completely. Changed direction mid-celebration. He was sprinting towards the man who had just scored the winning goal, which yep. would generally be the order of events here. Yeah. Uh, I, cu- I couldn't quite identify who it was. I watched it a couple of times. Turned on his heels and just went sprinting. Followed the re- all the rest of his teammates in sprinting after Caballero, leaving Torre to run in the general direction of the bench. I'm sure Torre had people to celebrate with, so maybe he didn't even notice. It's only this morning he's waking up, mm. looking at the replays and thinking...
4: Yeah, nobody likes me at this club. Well, it was the right day. Uh, the players were correct. Uh, Willie Caballero's three penalty saves were probably more important than Yates admittedly well excellent <laughs> conversion of his uh, penalty kick. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was brilliant for Caballero. I mean, it was because he had been such a feature of the whole build up to the game as well. What is this guy doing? Playing, oh yeah, you know. Um... He was criticised by the TV pundits definitely or not not him but Pellegrini for picking him you know this doesn't make any sense why would you do that Joe it Hart's obviously better
5: Why would you put Willie Caballero in this position where he's obviously going to hand the trophy to Liverpool why would your manager do that Yeah, That was kind of the tone of uh, the, the pre-match stuff Niall Quinn actually did predict that he would be man of the match and Manchester City would win in fairness
3: That was a tongue-in-cheek prediction though because he uh, spent well, the entire I mean, time like having a go at Pellegrini for making the That's the a call. ultimate insult Yeah Uh Maybe it didn't take until this morning for Yaya to work out what had gone on here, Ken, because Phil Blyton has tweeted me a photograph of the dressing room scene afterwards. You see all these celebrating Manchester City players here? Have a look at this. So you see from Rahim Sterling on the far left, yeah. very much involved. Rahim Sterling's a little bit away from the group who are sitting down. He's standing.
4: It's not quite Ashley Cole at Roma, but... No,
3: he's standing there with Kevin De Brown. And they look happy enough. They're pointing at each other. <laughs> yeah. This guy plays for Man City. So does this guy. That kind of point. Then you follow all the celebrating players, mostly sitting down. Company in the middle of it, of course, the leader. The heartbeat in many ways. Follow it over. Further over, catching the last few players There's Joe Hart. And two feet over on the left-hand side, sitting in his own, having a drink. That looks like Yaya Torre to me.
4: Oh, is it yeah yeah? I can't I think see. So, yeah. Um well look, he, maybe he's maybe he's content just to enjoy the moment alone. He'd given a lot out there. You know, he'd scored the decisive penalty. He'd he'd uh I, I hesitate to say run the midfield. He'd put Adam Lalana back in his box at one point. Um pretty nasty challenge, actually, on Adam Lalana. Right. I mean, Alana is the kind of player who frequently reacts. In um, he he loses his cool, let's say, uh, when opponents get a little bit physical with him, and you've I've seen it happen a few times to the line where you know he there's a challenge which he considers to be rough, and he jumps up, um, obviously angry, and it's the kind of anger that usually ends up with him getting barracked by the opposing fans, you know. With first of all, everyone goes whoa, and then. <laughs> everyone is uh, barking him which obviously annoys him even more and there was a little bit of that although when you actually then saw the challenge you could see why he was so angry yeah, it, was it, was a bad a, one. it was a bad one by Toure. Um the kind that if the referee sees sometimes the player gets well I mean definitely could could have got sent off for the challenge um, but yeah it was it was an interesting enough game it was a good game well, I,
3: thought, I thought I thought it was good entertainment um, mm. and it, it always seems now when players are playing the League Cup final that it I don't see any difference at all now between the League Cup and the FA Cup, which is obviously saying as much about the decline of the FA Cup, but it's also, it seems pretty clear to me that the players don't distinguish really. It's a cup final. Fans seem to have a great time. It, it appears to be, it was really important for Man City. This is Man City League champions to win that. You can imagine the celebrations if Liverpool had a won and maybe it's a question we can answer in the report on sport. Yeah. Well, you think, Murph, sorry, you're about to jump in there?
5: Well, no, just that the, the tournament is more than the final, unfortunately. And there's a lot of games where, no, like, I, th- I think it's obvious that when a player gets to a, a a cup final in Wembley, that they're then going to care about it. Yeah, I
3: think even f- I don't think there's any difference. So even in the earlier, or certainly by the time it gets to quarter final and semi final, a lot of people were tweeting me last night when I was talking about this and saying, in ways, the League Cup has the advantage that the scheduling has it as the earlier tournament before squads are squeezed quite as much as they are for the FA Cup, and therefore it actually and also there are no replays. Now, maybe the two-legged semi-final is a bit of uh, a bridge too far. There's probably no need for two games there. But other than than that, it's actually, I mean, it's fine. Mm, um, You see the contempt with which they treat the FA Cup now. So I I, I think that's clearly...
4: The League Cup has actually been more entertaining uh, in most of the last few seasons than the FA Cup. Uh, I don't know if it's because most of the games are at night. Uh, You know, midweek kind of night games. Maybe are are actually more atmospheric than... Whatever they're doing with the FA Cup these days, they're obviously the games are on at all times of the day, I suppose. But um, obviously, Manuel Pellegrini has won another trophy, um, but that's not the most important thing to Manuel Pellegrini. Go on. The most important thing. Loyalty. Yeah. Keeping his promise to Willie Caballero. I would prefer to lose a title than to lose my word. Mm-hmm. Says Manuel <laughs> Pellegrini, stroking his own ego. I mean, it's it's very nice. That he that he is such an, you know, a straightforward and honest guy with such a, you know, a firm set of principles, but like, usually when someone is is congratulating themselves in this way, it's it's always a little bit all oh, right, okay, good man, decent manager Manuel Pellegrini. I mean, I mean, I mean decent in the sense of human decency. I don't mean that he's merely a decent manager because obviously he's. He's more than that. But in terms of as a human being, he's great. Arguably greater as a human being than as a manager. My word is more important than football, says Pellegrini. Uh, which is interesting. I mean, it's exactly the opposite of what all the pundits were saying. They were like, oh, of course. I mean, once he gets to the final, you you turf that guy out and you, you put Joe Hart in. Uh, in fact, uh, Caballero seems to be a lot better at penalties than Joe Hart. Uh, he is uh, has maybe... Yeah, maybe he does have a, a future in Champions League knockout stages.
3: Oh, he could be uh, like Tim, Krul. Tim, Tim Krul. Tim Krul, in yeah. yeah.
4: Maybe he could uh, have a Tim Krul type type role to play there. Because I mean,
3: I don't know how happy Joe Hart will be. Joe Hart seemed genuinely thrilled for Caballero yesterday, and really did join in the celebrations. I'm not sure how happy he'd be to be taken off just before
5: uh, Champions League.
4: Joe Hart saved final a penalty from Lionel
5: Messi. I mean, that is true. End of the conversation, surely.
4: Uh, Lionel sure. Messi misses a lot End of penalties. That's
5: Joe Hart himself would say.
4: Um, sure. Yeah, he. if you uh, took all the goalkeepers who stopped the Lionel Messi penalty, you, you'd fill most of that stand behind Joe Hart's goal <laughs> at Eastlands. Uh, he's not the best penalty taker in the world, uh, and he does take a lot of penalties. Um, we deserve to win the game before penalties, says Pellegrini. Maybe most of the media were waiting for him to make a mistake and criticise my decision, but I promised he'd play both Cups. Uh, He had to play against Chelsea with a young team, so he conceded five goals, but I never lost trust in him because I know how good a player he is. Uh, And then talks a, a bit more about the Chelsea decision. I took a difficult decision last week not to continue in the FA Cup. That decision received a lot of criticism, but as a manager, I have to make a decision that's best for the team. I'm sure the wins in the Champions League and against Liverpool were absolutely linked with the decision not to expose 13 players to three games in a week because we're not able to do that. And of course, nobody will ever be able to prove Manuel Pellegrini wrong. Uh, on that. I mean, it is certainly the case that sometimes when you rest players, it doesn't work out for you. Uh, on this occasion, it did. That doesn't necessarily mean it was because the players didn't play against Chelsea. I mean, you can think back to last season and uh, Liverpool's surrender at Real Madrid, which resulted in them. I think they came back and, you know, they, they definitely didn't win the game they were wrestling everybody for. It didn't work uh, for them. But, you know, uh, who's to stop a manager claiming a little bit of credit when things go his way for a change. Yep. Uh, Jurgen Klopp. Uh, Tonight we feel shit, he says. Uh, but we carry on. Uh, do you think I go home, close the door, and stay there for four weeks? No. No. You have to feel defeat. You can't say it's not important. But you have to stand up. Only silly idiots stay on the floor and wait for the next defeat to come along. And we will strike back 100%. <clears throat> Obviously, since the last time we spoke... Uh, They were drawn against Manchester United in the Europa League.
3: Yeah, good news for Manchester United, I think.
4: Well, it's... a In in, in
3: the sense that even before the result of the weekend, I kind of got the sense that, oof, well, suddenly things are starting to look a little rosier for Van Hal here. Now, obviously, they have to win that game, but um, it does provide Van Hal with this opportunity to get the fans on side and keep a lot of the fans on side who don't seem to have deserted him this cup tie against their big rivals. And in the meantime, they go and beat Arsenal with a bunch of kids.
4: Oh, well... Well, yeah, I mean, you say a little rosier. I, a lot rosier. I mean, the, the promise of salvation, redemption, suddenly is opening up for Louis van Hal in a manner which nobody would have expected. I mean, he's even clowning around on the touchline now. Louis <laughs> van Gaal is, is, is uh, you know, revisiting the spirit of 95 when he, when he does the drop kick in the Champions League final. He's throwing himself to the ground, mm. planking on the Old Trafford touchline.
5: Eight, uh, eight goals and two home games. I mean, they will have to. They'll actually have to start screening, you know, the fans. I mean, can you handle this much excitement? Yeah. You know, do you have you a pacemaker installed? Yeah, exactly. Are um, you
4: know, are you on you you're, know, any you're, kind of you're, medication?
5: You're in danger. You're you're putting your life in your own hands by coming to watch this Manchester this, United. This Pride.
4: Old Trafford thrill ride. Uh, so suddenly beat Liverpool in that in that Europa League, and that puts a very very rosy tint on on the season. I mean, even if they don't win that competition, it's still kind of. Well, you know, to, to win a game like that makes everybody feel good. It means there's a point to being in that competition. Well, the point, point is- there is a uh, there is a point in being in that competition. There are two points. Number one, they get to win a competition that they've never won before. Number two, if they do win the competition, they get into the Champions League, which at the moment it doesn't look as though they will through the league. Although you never know, you never know. Obviously, three points closer to Arsenal than they than they would have been otherwise. And um, you mentioned that they did it with a bunch of kids. though. So Arsene Wenger was taking issue with this. Uh, And he's like, oh, let's not go overboard. You know, they had a lot of money on the field out there, you know, from the head through the very experienced midfield. And actually what Wenger said was true. The the Man United team was more expensive than his team by about 50 million euros. Mm -hmm. In fact, the Man United team was more expensive than any squad in Europe. Well, if you look at the top five leagues, any Italian squad except Juventus. I mean the, the entire squad. I don't mean the, the 11. I'm talking about United's 11, the 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 Louis' lads, or whatever they were calling them, uh, was more expensive than the entire squad of any Italian team except Juventus, of any Spanish team except Real Madrid and Barcelona, of any German team except Bayern, and of any French team except PSG. So it was, a, you know, I mean, you, you got like Mata was nearly 40 million, De Gea, you know, Schneiderl and Herrera. These players weren't cheap. Um, and I don't think I've ever seen any accurate comment. I mean, accurate in the strictly factual sense from Arsene Wenger go down as badly with his fan base as this one. Really, honestly, it's 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 like a, a real. It seems like a bit of a crisis. What crisis moment from Arsene Wenger? He that in making this point in sort of advancing this little agenda. Well, you know. Sure, Rashford maybe scored a couple of goals, but at the same time, that was still a, pr- a pretty strong Man United team out there. That he has just totally misread the mood of the Arsenal supporters, which is to say, rage, like real, real rage with that performance. Because you know, it's for for everything that's at stake. I mean, my, Manchester United had this game against Mitchilland on. Thursday, which of course was two days after Arsenal's game. Arsenal had a little bit of extra rest. They were playing against a higher level opponent in Barcelona. Um, now they obviously lost in Manchester United. had a had a real confidence boosting victory. But come on, you know Arsenal should still be. You know they've just been come off the field from playing against Messi, Suarez, Neymar. You know they've they, that was a really competitive game. They should be able to now go to Old Trafford and say, right, uh, that was disappointing during the week. However, this is the trophy that we have a real chance of winning this season and this is the game in which we're going to re-establish. And ugh, it just doesn't happen. I mean, it's... it's. Um, Even though Wenger... Invisible.
3: But you say Wenger is factually correct, that people might be missing the point that there are, that, that well, Manchester F- United team is actually pretty, sem- uh, pretty expensively put together.
4: Yeah, well, Wenger is factually correct in that Manchester United did have a lot of expensive players uh, on the field. You'll, you'll struggle to find a more expensive team playing in the world this year. However... Uh, they also had Michael Carrick and Daley Blind as their central defenders. Okay, Blind's been playing central defence, but Blind is not really a central defender. Neither is Carrick. You know, they have uh, young fullbacks. They have, uh, you know, the the obviously the eighteen-year-old up front. Now, Rashford has scored four goals. Four goals, where he's. Uh, I think that the solution to stopping him might be to mark him. <laughs> now, if somebody. Maybe somebody's gonna try that in a future game. But for the moment they're they're uh they're letting him free in the penalty area and he is banging the ball into the net with alarming regularity. Much it was too much for too hot to, for Arsenal to handle. Um you know, so this is uh this is what's happening. Van Hal saying it's the culture of Manchester United. That's why they took me as a manager. I think that is to to bring young players through. Now he did only sort of bring these players through because the players that he was trying to play all the time ended up being injured and put out of the way. So injury the, the sort of random hand of injury is like the hand of Michelangelo sculpting away this block of Carreras marble so that what's eventually revealed is Rashford. Um, nobody nobody expected so Van Hal is taking credits credit to a certain extent for the vicissitudes of of chance. On the other hand, this is a guy who's been through a lot of, um, a lot of setbacks, a lot of disappointments this season. So
3: yeah, we're going to talk to Jonathan Wilson in a good bit of detail about that in a few minutes' time. Cristiano Ronaldo will has made himself, I would say, somewhat unpopular in his dressing room.
4: Well, I I honestly couldn't believe it when I saw that he'd said this, and I even listened to the uh, interview, this the interviews in Spanish, but you can see, yeah, okay, these quotes are accurate. This is what he's talking about, um. I couldn't believe it. Uh, They lost the Madrid derby to Atletico, um, which is obviously not a good result. Uh, Zinedine Zidane's career as Real Madrid manager is going the same as all the other Real Madrid managers. He's a guy who stands on the sideline. The team, you know, loses games as it does because it's ultimately not really that good a team. And, uh, you know... We can, I think we can all see how it's probably going to end for and then there. But Cristiano Ronaldo, after this game, uh, does an interview where he says, I don't want to disrespect anyone, but when the best players aren't available, it's harder to win. I'd like to play with Karim, with Bale, with Marcelo. I'm not saying the others like Lucas Vasquez, Jesse and Mateo Kovacic are not good players. They're very good players, but it's not the same. Uh, he says, uh, if everyone was at my level... Maybe we'd be leaders. (laughs) Now, I just thought that was amazing. You know the famous scene in The Office where he brings them all for a pint? Oh, yeah. Mm. And they're sitting in some awful uh, place, you know, like lunchtime with these horrible pints. Sloppy-looking pints, yeah. Everyone's sitting around quietly. And he says something like, well, obviously the best people haven't turned up, so... (laughs) That is what Cristiano Ronaldo has just said about his Real Madrid team. It was just like, how can you... How do how did these words come out of your mouth? What level of egotism does it take to blind you to the consequences of what you're saying here?
3: To actually name check them as well. Like, mm. in fairness, he could. He, everyone would have known who he was talking about, regardless. Once he had named the players that were that were missing, the guys in his, in, their, in those positions, would be like, "Well, he's obviously talking about me." But just in case there was any doubt, yeah. he decided to name them individually. It's like
5: another factually accurate statement that went down similarly well
4: (laughs) he said you know every year I'm shit according to the press but the numbers and statistics do not lie Uh, afterwards when he realises oh no that's mm, that's kind of lit things up a little bit my interview uh, the press have misinterpreted my statements after the match uh well, they, the press are reporting statements is actually what happened. But he says, I was not saying I'm better than others. I meant the physical part and injuries. There have been major elements in the team, such as Pepe, Bale, Benzema and Marcelo. That has hurt us and has not allowed us to reach the level that we usually have. I totally respect my teammates and I never meant to offend. I don't think I'm better than anyone. So that's obviously not true either. Um, but I mean, when he says Pepe, I mean, essentially his argument now is that, oh, I was just saying, if everyone was at my level in terms of being free of injury, if Pep, if Bale and Benzema, like me, were free of injury, then maybe we would be top. Clearly, not not what he was saying. You know, everyone knows what he was saying. I think that they should. I think it's time for them to move on from this. You know, from Ronaldo. Yeah, I think it's Set him back to United. Send him to whoever will take him. I'm sure that there will be takers. I really think. You know, it's not. It's not. It's not going to get any better than it is now. Cristiano Ronaldo is not going to change the, this. This is one of the most immature things that he said. He's getting worse as he gets as he becomes more of a. I mean, I say more of a star. He's hardly more of a superstar now than he was three, four, five years ago. But as he sort of gets older, he seems to be. uh, It's not a question of him becoming more, uh, more of a kind of a leader to the players around him. He he, he's more isolated and more kind of. he lacks. He, he he he's he's forgotten what it's like to be a junior player.
3: He's still scoring the goals though, what well, bar the recent criticism. of Well, he
4: didn't score against Atletico.
3: Not scoring away from home very often.
4: Well, no, that was at home. Didn't score. He didn't score. You know, he he's. I mean, his team are, are doing terribly, and what's what does he do? He blames other people. He he you know he 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 reacts angrily to this. uh, Oh, look at the Barcelona players! Look at them gamble and frolic together. Look at the, you know, the it, they're like the animals in Bambi. It's, it's so it's amazing the friendship, the the joy, and Ronaldo was like, rather than just say yeah, it's you know, it's great, gets angry. You know, that that stuff isn't important. It is. I mean, because all he does there is betray. His own isolation, I think, in that team. Now he's, like, trashing his teammates in public.
3: But was he any... Is he any more isolated? Was he not always that way? Uh, You're you're still talking about setting your best player there, which is generally accepted as not a very good idea.
4: Well, it is once your best player isn't as good as he used to be and is is holding back the... I mean, you've got a player who doesn't want to combine with anyone. You've got a player who's got his own agenda. He's using the club.
3: He likes combining with Benzema. He he likes allowing Benzema to goals from him and make that those runs to take defenders away so that he can bomb in and
4: exactly knock it into the net. It's he's used <laughs> it's a it, different
3: type of combination. It's
4: I mean he's happy to let others uh, you know uh, open up chances for him, create goals from. He's not uh, a player who is, takes any joy whatsoever from the achievements of his teammates. He's True. only in it for himself now. It's like I don't think he's always been like that, but that's the way that he is now. It's all about oh the Ballon d'Or. He, I, I think he's kind of. I think he's kind of collapsed into a little bit of bitterness now as well because he can kind of see that it's over for him. You know, he's never going to win another Ballon d'Or.
3: But he was Ballon d'Or winner last year.
4: Yeah, and he's never going to win another one. But you're talking about a
3: guy as as though he's six years past his peak or something like that. He was the best player in the world Well, he is past his peak. Well, he's had had a year that's not as spectacular as last year's, which is one of the most spectacular in... Uh, that, uh, that anyone's produced.
4: Well, I don't. I just don't see how Ronaldo, at the age of you know thirty two, as he'll be in twenty. Well, I suppose he could do it. He could do it this year. You know, he, he's going to be thirty one for most of this year, for all of this, for all of the remaining uh, portions of this year, I should say. But you know, I mean, there there are three better players than him playing for Barcelona. Lewandowski is having a much better season. Than, you know, he's he's not even on the podium anymore. Maybe he could come back and do it and. You know, next year, but I just don't see it happening. I think that he's kind of like a—he's like a dying star now. You know, he's uh, like—he's distorting, warping everything around him. It's like it's time for Real Madrid to move on. This this guy has—they've been good for each other. Uh, You know that he did win the Champions League with Madrid. Eventually, he's set unbelievable records, but this thing is at an end now.
3: Do you want a word on Leicester?
4: Uh, Leicester, yeah, well, Leicester came back. I mean, Leicester obviously continued their their unstoppable uh, march towards the title. Um, And they beat Norwich with a late goal. And it looked as though they were going to fluff it up and get a a nil-nil. Claudio Ranieri, uh, joining in with the team of a lot of these uh, managers, explaining how he... uh, Engineered this. <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together. Says Raniere. We will take a lot of risks one point is not enough never enough We have to win. We will take the risk. That is why the manager is hired for this reason to take the risk uh, throwing on a striker in the form of Ojoa uh, was the risk that he took and Ojoa scored the goal um, I enjoy when there's something for me to do says Raniere. Um Obviously the players all went off on holidays You could see they were posting photographs of themselves in their various locations around the world. And uh, Rainier said, I was never worried about that. They're such good professionals, my boys. They were off training hard in their holidays. They came back into training and everything was great. Uh, The only thing that isn't great for Leicester is that uh, Kante got injured. um, Seems to have tweaked a hamstring. So uh, would be a big player to be missing if he misses any more than a couple of days. And I don't think he'll be able to play against West Brom this week.
3: That's it for this edition of Kennedy's Report on Sport.
1: Just a crying big baby. But you cannot call a player a baby.
2: What?
5: Game you wanted victory, boy. Didn't have a weapon. I want victory for every game. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? Which is, is the game you wanted victory, boy? Didn't have a well, us, uh, the you look frustrated on the Coach. pitch. Is, is the game you wanted victory, boy, didn't have a You wanted
2: victory.
5: Well, I Which is, is the game you wanted victory, boy, didn't have a Where do you think you got it all wrong today?
1: against them in the Premier League and we never said they are baby he's just a crying big baby and you cannot call a player
2: a baby
3: Jonathan Wilson I'm sure you were as impressed as the rest of the world watching Marcus Rashford's performance two goal performance yesterday is it a stretch to say that this guy has single handedly saved Manchester United's season?
2: Um, weirdly I, I don't think it is that much I mean you know they, they have, I think the, the last three games United have been have been vital at least in terms of making sure Van Hall stays in the job until the end of the season, um, and yeah, beating Shrewsbury, you'd expect them to do that. I, I don't think it was easy against Mitchell on Thursday. I mean, I don't think Mitchell are particularly good, but you know, it's 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 not easy when you've lost two on away and concede the away goals. So the fact that he he scores twice in the second half to, to turn that tie, and then you know the icing on the cake is further derailing Arsenal's title challenge. And and I I guess now you know United have three things to aim for. They they might win the FA Cup. They might win the Europa League, which gets them in the Champions League. But you know they're only three points behind City. Okay, City have a game in hand. And I mean, I guess in a sense this is a uh, an indication of how far United have sunk. But it would be hilarious if you were a United fan and everybody's going on about City and Guardiola, and you push them down to fifth, and they're they're in the Europa League next season. (laughs) I mean, that is actually you know a good thing for them to aim for now. And, And I think. Yeah, in the last three or four weeks of the season, that might actually genuinely excite people.
3: Is there something particularly energizing about this being a young 18 year old who nobody knew of a week ago who's leading this? Do you think that does add an extra pep for even for teammates as well as supporters?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, It's just an exciting, brilliant thing. You know, I mean, I I, I was at Wembley yesterday. I I mean, I was at Old Trafford on Thursday. Uh, And, you know, the reaction on Thursday was, who is this bloke? And, And just, you know, you're you, you all correct on your on your word as changing it to Bashford or Ashford because nobody's heard of Rashford. Uh, and you, know, you haven't heard to Google him. He doesn't have a Wikipedia page. And you're sort of, you know, who, who is this bloke? And then the reaction at Wembley yesterday when he scored those two goals was just a room full of journalists laughing. You know, this is a brilliant story. And uh, I guess unless you're emotionally involved with one of the teams involved, it's just great to see it in, in an age when... You know, you, you, we sort of know too much. A, a, a little bit of the, the fantasy, uh, the mystique has been lost. Suddenly this kid come from nowhere, a local kid, which makes it even more exciting, um, scoring four goals in, in an hour over two games. <laughs> in that hour, he scored more go- or as many goals as Radimal Falcao scored in an entire season at United. Mm-hmm. And that's just a, a good thing. It's, 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 I suppose it's a, an individual version of a Leicester story that these things shouldn't happen anymore. And when it does happen, it's great to see because that's kind of the the fairy tale that everybody sort of clings to that, that, that sport can bring. Like a kid from nowhere, he suddenly starts scoring important goals.
4: He's still got one more goal to go before he catches up with Federico Makeda. Um, uh, Federico, Federico Makeda's Manchester United goal tally. Arsene Wenger was talking about Rashford after the match and said, I think this guy could be a very positive surprise. Uh, we have seen this happen before though, this kind of... Um, you know, I, I, I mean, it's it's an amazing it's amazing start that he's made. But
3: come on, I, I can't I can't even I can read where this question is going, and I'm disgusted by it. Ken, where's <laughs> but, your joy? Where this is a young player? Well, I just
4: I just don't revitalising his club. I just don't see him keeping this up. Is what I'm saying. You know, to, two to, go, two goals a game. I, I think I think, he, I, I think it's it's all downhill from here for Marcus Rashford. Is, is is I suppose what I'm saying. But what is you know is there any reason to believe that Rashford is necessarily going to be um, you know, different from Makeda?
2: I mean, I, I honestly just don't know enough about his personality. I mean, what, what I think you can say is he's a lot quicker than Makeda was, which which helps. Yeah, his movement looks good. Yeah, know, he's, he's finishing, you know, four first-time finishes, you know, um, one with his head. And I thought it was a really good header because there's no pace on that cross. So to, to get enough power and the direction on it... So, I mean, I think, you know, if you guys scored four goals in two games, obviously there's a lot of positive signs. I, I don't know, maybe... Maybe it will be McKayda, but maybe it'll be yeah, it'll be a Wayne Rooney story. You know, um, who, who knows? But it is just very exciting. And it, you know, it's it's not just him. It's a fact that he's one of I think eight under twenty one players that Van Hal's given Davies to in the last four months. Yeah. which I know is you know, there's a slightly odd thing there that that Van Gaal has throughout his career promoted youth, but at the same time he wouldn't have done that unless they'd had this. I mean, what thirteen injuries I think before mm. before the game against Watford are talking about. So yeah, the two things have gone hand in hand, but it, it's also, yeah, I mean, we, we talked last week about Manchester City and suddenly dropping in five debutants. Well, I'm pretty sure Van Gaal wouldn't have wanted to drop in eight over four months, but it does show that if you if you do drip feed them through, they they can take off. And yeah, maybe maybe in three or four years' time it will be. Oh, what was the name of that kid who got the four goals against Arsenal, Midland and, and we, we we will have forgotten about him. But yeah, maybe yeah maybe he'll get twenty goals next season and he'll be. Fighting with Jamie Vardy for that England number nine
4: shirt. Mm, it's, uh, I mean, it's five debutants just in the last week, which is, uh, I suppose, shows um, that they have had some bad injury problems uh, in, you know, in the last couple of weeks. And obviously, one of those has been Wayne Rooney. You mentioned Rooney there. He is. Uh, he's been absent from the team, and suddenly it's burst into life. Is scoring, <laughs> scoring goals. Even Memphis the Pie suddenly looks like he's remembered how to play. Uh I mean do you see any, any link there?
2: Uh it's possible. I mean I, I think Rooney was actually playing pretty well before the injury. Um but nobody if, else was though. Well, that's true. And it, it it's certainly the case that Rashford is is quicker. Um I, I guess there's a um there's a sprightliness to the team there that, that he, he maybe makes runs for, for one matters three balls that, that Rooney is no longer capable of making. So so perhaps that does help. I mean I I, I think the idea that United are better off without Rooney is a is a little bit um, it's it's stretching a point a bit but yeah you know, the, the flip side of that is that you can't deny that Rashford has has added this sort of great life to the side I mean there was a moment on Thursday in the press comes after the game when Van Hull said you know, he plays with great joy and you sort of heard this murmur go around as people thought yeah you know, well, you'll soon bash that out of them and you do wonder whether the fact that Rashford hasn't hasn't spent a season being told to play the ball sideways and keep possession. Sort of adds to his to his potency. The the, the fact he's come from outside uh, maybe means he hasn't sort of got bogged down in, in the in the theory that, that Van Hull gives him. Um, but um, but yeah, I still think United would be. They'd rather have Rooney there. Maybe you pull Rooney back and play him in the matter role and and let, let Rashford play. Uh, players to center forward. Then
4: you uh, then you lose Juan Matter though, and I thought he, he played quite well yesterday and the entire Manchester United midfield looked pretty good. And you know, it's 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 evidently better when you don't have you know, Michael Carrick's been a great player for Manchester United for many years, but he doesn't really have the legs to play in midfield anymore when it's Schneider and Herrera and Matt as it was yesterday, it looks like a better combination.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's probably true. Um but, I mean, quite apart from anything else, I think United is just stuck with him. He's not going to go anywhere. Um, but, you know, I still think the he's still a very intelligent player. His, his, his movement's still good. He's, he's still powerful. Um, yeah, this this is a, a shot of life from a, from, a, from a kid who's really quick. I mean, let's see in three or four weeks when when defenders have started to get used to him, when, when you know, the, the, the sort of euphoria that he must be feeling now has started to wear off. Uh, yeah, he's given them something different. He's he's probably been, he's arguably been what what they needed to pick the season up. But I don't think that means we should write Rooney off necessarily.
3: John, what about Arsenal? We've, we were talking on this podcast last week or the last couple of weeks about uh, the idea of whether or not it'll be embarrassing for Arsenal to lose the league to Leicester City. I don't necessarily think it is. But is there an argument that actually it's this result is more embarrassing than if they had lost to Leicester? If they lose the league to Leicester, to lose this game to such a callow Manchester United team who should have been there for the taking. Is it a bit of an embarrassment for Wenger?
2: I think I think it was slightly embarrassing. Yeah, I mean this this was this was. I mean we keep saying this this season. This is their chance, and they keep on. Apart from against Leicester, they keep on messing it up. I mean since they beat City, which where well, they look brilliant, that games before Christmas, they've won what six out of thirteen games, and that includes your yeah, two wins in the, in the cup against uh, a weekend side. Okay, a weekend Arsenal as well, but against a weekend London side, and against Burnley. So. You know, um four wins out of ten in the league in the in the champions league that's that's not the former champions, and you do you know you do come back to the issue you always end up coming back to the last one, which is this mental fragility that they just don't kick on when they need to that you sort of sense this this sort of terror of really grasping when the when the prize comes within reach it's like they they dare it quite fully reach out their hand and they always seem to play i mean to use Wenger's phrase, they play with a handbrake on and I think there was an element of that yesterday that that they even even when they got it back to um, to three two, you were expecting this sort of cavalry charge last or ten fifteen minutes, and you sort of thought, well, you know, with um, with Carrick alongside uh, Blint at the back, maybe they can get get balls in the box and and they, they can cause them trouble that way. Maybe the, these young United players will, will buckle under the pressure, but th- there was none of that. There was no sort of oomph. There was no drive to it, and, and that I think is is hugely worrying.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's not the form of champions, but it is kind of the form of Arsenal once they get to this stage of the season and they're still actually involved. I mean, if they were miles off the base in the Premier League, I would expect them now to be on a 10-match a run of victories uh, to get themselves back up into, into third or fourth. Um, but, I mean, lo- looking at that game yesterday, I, I was struck again by how really average this team, in fact, is. I looked through the entire team and the only really outstanding players... On the field are for Arsenal. That is, are well. Leave aside the goalkeeper, who I think is a very good player. Um, Alexis Sanchez, who, who's not in the greatest of form at the moment. Mesut Ozil has had a great season. Didn't do, you know, he, he had a couple of nice touches yesterday, but not that influential. I look throughout the rest of the team, and I'm thinking, is this really all all there is? This is all they've got. They're the reason they're, they're not good enough to win the league. Yeah, I mean, I, I think
2: um, Hector has had a very very good season. Um, but, but yeah, I, I broadly take the point. Uh, the series played well in patches, Walcott's played well in patches, but it, it, it's, it's patches. Someone, someone hand, like Ramsey,
4: it's- Ramsey, for instance, it's like he needs... It, all of these players, you think, if only they had some kind of a... Uh, you know, you, you keep coming back because it's Arsenal to Patrick Vieira, but somebody <laughs> like that, you know, like a, a sort of a coat stand that all the coats could hang on. That's what Arsenal are, at the moment. They're just a, a heap of codes lying on the ground, and what they need is a, is a code stand, and they don't have that code stand.
2: Yeah, and I mean I think that's true from a tactical point of view, and I think it's true from a yeah you know, a morale point of view that they don't have that real driving presence. But yeah, you know, and I think it's a it's a totally valid point to say they haven't had that since since Fiera left. Henry took it on for a while, but isn't I mean a doesn't really play in a position where where you can pick a team up, and b. Probably is slightly too individualistic to to do that. Um, so yeah, it, it, that absence of a, I mean, yeah, how often have we said it? The absence of a real driving force from the back of midfield, physically and mentally, is keeps on costing them. And yeah, I, I think you know the, the, the comparison with Spurs and Leicester over the weekend, neither of whom played particularly well, or, or at least both of whom were left needing a late goal, and they both get it. Uh, so, and that, I, I know, uh, stats people hate this idea, but. Everybody who's followed football for as long as we have knows that a mark of a champion is a team who suddenly manages to grab a result where none seemed possible, and there's countless examples of that. Of which McAda is, is, is one of them, and Leicester and Spurs have both done that. And Arsenal, when they they had that chance the last sort of ten fifteen minutes to really drive you know, it, United couldn't do it. Couldn't even a draw in that game? Having beaten Leicester to get a draw in that game, it's away at Old Trafford. They haven't won there since 2006 in the league. A draw would have been a decent result. And to lose, they just you know, any any momentum they gain from beating Leicester has is, is, is gone. Uh, so you know, weirdly, you know, it's Leicester and Spurs who, who look like the teams who are the season Championship campaigners.
3: Yep. Listen, Jonathan, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Emil. Cheers. Thanks. Just a load of coats lying on the floor. Says so kind of early of the Arsenal, the scattering of Arsenal players there looking for mm. their uh, their coat hanger, Patrick
5: Vieira. Yeah. Could stand. Code stand. I mean, the, the metaphor falls apart if you don't get it. Sorry. Absolutely Sorry. accurate.
4: They're like a, someone's upstairs bedroom uh, towards we'll the end do of the house. Party. About,
5: we'll do something about that later. It's fine. Just for <laughs> now, we'll just leave it as it is. It'll be grad.
4: Uh, yeah, disordered chaos. Uh, it's uh, it's awful.
3: So it's not actually that the players are that bad. It's that they just need one guy to absolutely galvanise them. I mean, Aaron Ramsey's not a bad footballer. For well,
4: example. I mean, I know that I'm kind of straying into this. Into this ridiculous territory of oh, you need to have a leader on the field, you know, which not sometimes the sometimes the team can be the leader, you know. Uh, but I do feel as though they've got a lot of players who are good uh, combining with other players, but kind of need someone there to to work off.
3: Yeah, I think it's all right territory to stray into every team. You look at Barcelona the, the guy like Sergio Busquets I'm not saying he's uh, clearly he's of a high technical level very high technical level I don't mm. think I don't think the guy that you're talking about has to be your
4: No, it has to be like Roy Keane kind yeah, of well, all round legend
3: yeah and doesn't necessarily have to be a could, killer of a tackler essence, but it could be someone like who Car- has a bit of Carrick yeah.
4: <clears throat> Carrick for instance uh, the way that he was for a long time at Manchester United, like a kind of a, a quiet player who never got any recognition because but he was quiet has
3: Cacolain not done a
5: bit of that
4: Mm, no, I mean Coquelin. Coquelin has been better than I think most people would have expected. But
5: a bit more light than heat with uh, Coquelin. I always, you know, he he always. I think he's very anxious to put himself forward as one of those types of players, mm. as in a you know hard as nails uh, mm. Chopper Harris type. But he's not. He. The more the more you see of him, the less convinced you are of his abilities to fulfil that role.
4: Yeah, I mean I'd say he's he's a lot more David Batty than, you know, Roy Keane. I mean I I thought though I mean I was thinking recently as well, what game was it? Um I think it was Liverpool Augsburg was on Thursday. Watching this game, thinking, There are no players with any brains in this game. I mean I suppose you you've got sort of Coutinho, but there's no and then I was thinking, I can't I can't actually think of any midfielders really in the Premier League at the moment who are the kind of really top-class, smart, you know, game-controlling midfielders. You, Cesc Fabregas maybe is a little past it now. Um, Luka Modric is the kind of player I'm I'm thinking about uh, when he was at Tottenham, um, and obviously has has gone uh, to Real Madrid for a number of years now. All the players that I could think of are either these—they're they're kind of little inside forwards. You know, like players
3: you Coutinho, Hazard types.
4: Yeah, well, Hazard is even more of a of an attacker, I'd say, than midfield. But C- Coutinho, maybe Mesut Ozil, um, you know, the, or you've got these kind of uh, runners like um, someone like uh, Kante. Ramsey. No, Kante is Cante. Kante is actually probably the most complete in terms of his in terms of what he's done this season. Anyway, the the thing that he's obviously missing is scoring. He does not really score a lot, but he does have a huge influence uh, on games. I mean, it's it's mainly an athletic thing that he's, uh, it's it's mainly because he's like a machine. You know, mm. he's he's he seems to be everywhere on the field. I mean, people calling him the Kante twins or whatever. This is the kind of impact that he has. But I don't really, I can't think of anybody who's like a really smart uh, kind of orchestrator of play in midfield. You've got some defensive, you know, just specialized defensive players, guys who run around a lot, you know, Jordan Henderson, guys like that, like um, Ozil,
5: someone like Ozil, only someone who plays like 20 yards further back the field yeah. than Ozil does. There's, yeah, you're right. There's probably not there's that not, many There's
4: nobody like really. That. I mean, you know, Xavi's the the great example of it. Busquets is maybe a little bit like that for Barcelona. Maybe he's a bit more every time I've seen,
5: Yeah, every time I've seen Dembele play. He Dembele, always,
4: yeah. He's, he's not a bad shout actually. He's been, he's been good in, in that type of role. But again, he's kind of a converted forward. I mean, I remember he's played front for Fulham. Um, he has been... He's been very good. I'd say that's a that's as close as it gets in the Premier League these days, Gareth. So
3: Arsenal need to sign up then better. It's as simple as that. Josh Robinson, we haven't talked about uh, reflected on events in Zurich on Friday when Gianni Infantino came from not being a runner in this uh, in this election campaign to being the new FIFA president. And Josh Robinson works at the Wall Street Journal was in Zurich to see all this happening. Josh. I don't know how the mood in the room when when all this was developing on Friday. Infantino is now the FIFA president. Was there a sense of surprise on the day?
1: Oh, absolutely! It's a it's a triumph of opportunism. Uh, he entered the race as a placeholder for Platini, and then as things broke against him, uh, Infantino emerged as this uh, as this candidate with ready made backing from UEFA. Um, and definitely, once we saw that first ballot result where he was three votes ahead of Sheikh Salman. It was a feeling of a, a real shift inside the room.
4: Is there a sense that, that Gianni Infantino has actually taken advantage of all the political preparation work that Michel Platini had been doing over the previous 15 years?
1: Um, yes and no. I mean, obviously with UEFA, there is that that prefabricated block of support and Europe is always going to want uh, to unify behind a candidate that it sees as... Uh, holding its interests at heart and won't won't decentralize power from uh, where where the game tends to live, um, but it, it was interesting because he never once mentioned Michel Platini uh, during his campaign or during any of his speeches last week in Zurich. Yeah. I think there was a sense that he wanted to distance himself just enough in case things got really ugly.
4: What were the electoral mechanics then? I mean, where did he where did his support come from?
1: Um. Well, he primarily focused on Europe and then using real, you, know, bladder era tactics, classic moves like promising more uh, financial assistance, promising more World Cup places. those were right out of the bladder playbook. Um, he, he scraped a bit of support in uh, South America, a bit in Asia, I believe. And the real, uh, real deciding factor at one point was the collapse of the African bloc. You know, if that's 54 votes that tend to go the same way. But I was told that he picked up as many as 10 there. Um, And then finally, between the first and second rounds, there was a real shift and the the U.S. made its influence felt um, as the Sunil Gulati, the U.S. soccer president, went around the room working for Infantino, telling people to flip their votes from Prince Ali to Infantino. And that made the difference in the second round.
3: Really, is it that it's that it, it does happen that late? These things can change even on the day. Well, a lot of people
1: will commit their first ballot votes, but then once the second ballot comes around, it's a free-for-all. Um, the I think a lot of people were prepared to follow the U.S. because of the influence it exerts uh, around CONCACAF. And also, just this is a theory that's out there. Um, when the U.S. comes and tells you to do something at FIFA these days, people tend to listen and uh, no one's saying, well, we think the FBI might be watching, but I think that's a real sense around the place.
3: That's interesting. So the we, we'd we always thought about the day, Josh, that the U.S. would become the superpower in world soccer, and it, <laughs> it seems to be happening now um, on the back of some powerful support from the boys in the FBI.
1: Well, it's not necessarily a superpower yet, but it's certainly positioning itself as a power broker.
4: Yeah, I'm interested in that, that, that um Infantino could outflank his opponents using really obvious bladder era tactics like promising more World Cup places and and promising to give people money. I mean, I seem that Sheikh Salman was going around promising everybody World Cup places and money.
1: Absolutely. So, um, and he, um, he was, he was doing much the same thing, but he was a little bit more conservative in the way he promised these things. He said that Infantino's plan, for instance, would bankrupt FIFA and, um, and certainly that you know, passing Infantino's various uh, increases in financial assistance is no small task. The budget for 2015 to 2019 has already been approved, so you'd have to go back and get the Congress to change that. Um, but Salman did not have the kind of charisma that Infantino showed, and that was also a classic bladder move, get up there and speak as many languages as you know. Uh, and, and make these small federations
4: feel like they're going to have a seat at the world table. That's incredible, Josh, because I've seen Jenny Infantino many times um, emceeing various uh, events, and charisma is never a word that I'd, I necessarily would have associated with him. I mean, he, he had this Congress in the palm of his hand?
1: He did. Uh, he gave a, a barnstorming speech in about five or six languages, and... Um, and stood in dark contrast to a couple of the other candidates whose speeches were absolutely stultifying um of course the you know the a lot of his votes were secured before then but you can it gave you an insight into the act that he's been using over the past year over the past 5 months really
4: i mean is he now i mean you, you mentioned all these promises that he's that he's made which helped to win people's hearts is he does he now take the job hopelessly compromised i mean his job is essentially to dole out cash and uh, and uh, and change the structure of the World Cup. I mean, what has his election cost him in terms of the commitments that he's now made over the next couple of years?
1: Well, I think it's going to be tough for him to carry them through, honestly. Um, like I said, the budget for 2015 to 2019 is already through, uh, so he's got to backtrack on some work that was done there. And the 40-team World Cup uh, is a really challenging proposition because how many teams, how many countries can really host a tournament like that? Now... Of course, uh, the favorite for 2026 is the US and that's a country that has 30 ready-made NFL stadiums uh, prepared to go. but uh, we won't get into that conspiracy theory either.
4: okay I mean I, I noticed some there was a line in that uh, messaging toolkit that FIFA provided to to the uh, candidates. Uh, one of the questions uh, involved an answer which in- included a reference to the role of the president no longer being executive or at least not as executive as it. As it once was. So, what does that imply about what's happening to the role of president in this organization? Is is it becoming more of a figurehead role?
1: Well, it's true. It's um, that's what the the people, the strategy firm pulling the strings at FIFA, uh, really wants. They want to end this in, this idea of the imperial presidency that that Blatter built up. Um, the the key thing to look out for in the coming weeks is who Infantino appoints as a secretary general, because that is actually going to become the most powerful role at FIFA. Um, that person will be a chief executive. That person will actually earn more money than Infantino, although still not as much as Sepp Blatter and Jerome Balk did. Um, so that person is going to be the one signing the checks and negotiating the deals. Uh, the FIFA Exco, as it currently exists, this Hopelessly tainted body that uh, that we've come to know and love um, has one more meeting, and they could theoretically approve the Secretary General. And I wouldn't be surprised if Infantino uses that in two weeks' time to get through a sort of politically inclined uh, SG before uh, there's too much time for for you know FIFA to go out and conduct what you would expect, like uh, an executive search with a long list and a short list. Um, which people at FIFA have said, you know, that would be the normal way to do things in a major corporation. There's still just enough time to do things the not normal
3: way. <laughs> the FIFA way, indeed. All right, Josh Robinson, thanks so much for talking to us.
4: Thank you. FIFA made a movie recently. Uh, did they?
2: John Delaney could run anything.
4: They did, they did, actually. About themselves. Yeah, about themselves. Oh, you know, that's ego, isn't it? He could run FIFA. Certainly better than Sat Blatter. Or... Yeah, that is, that's incredibly
3: But The real movie's on the wave.. Yeah, I'm off to see the Queen
2: tomorrow
4: too, don't forget that. No, no, In 2009, I called him an embarrassment to FIFA and an embarrassment to himself. And I, and I said it to him across the table, just like I'm talking to you. We wanted to explain it. He said, No one speaks to me like that.
3: And you said, And I said, What do I do? And
4: that was it. We wanted to explain it. You I just asked me to move on. It was an extraordinary moment. she, she was here, she tell you, just stared at her for seven seconds. And I said, Move on now, please. And then he moved. When I went in and told him how I felt about him, there was some expeditive views, we came to an agreement. It's a very good agreement, been, and we've used to figure it out while not Sounds
3: like you haven't been too impressed, Ken, by Infantino's star turns, and seeing all these UEFA Champions League draws, etc. with Rude Huddett <laughs> and these kind of
4: characters. Who else, who else pops up with those? Um, no, Rudolph is more of a FIFA guy. Uh,
3: I think Rudolph might pop up at the FIFA events.
4: Oh, uh, I'd say I'd say Rude will be open to. He's a gun for hire. <laughs> um, speaking
3: as many languages, speaking five or six languages
4: doesn't strike you as charismatic. Well, it's just a Swiss thing, isn't it? It's more Swiss than charismatic.
5: I mean, there's in every single newspaper article that I click on at the bottom of the page, there's always, like, a promoted page about the 25-year-old who's yeah. taught himself 11 languages. That red-haired guy. Yeah, why don't we just make him <laughs> be the president? <laughs>
4: Watch him speak nine languages fluently. Uh, you have
5: to click at it. Uh, really? Oh, I've watched
4: it. Have you? Yeah. I've, I've watched it, yeah.
5: Yeah, I haven't, haven't gone there just yet.
4: Um, yeah. But, <laughs> no, I mean, even Infantino's president, he's not a presenter, like, you know, he's a, he's a lawyer. Uh, but he does... Uh, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say he was. He to be was honest, I'm not
5: entirely sure that it's, you know, an absolutely foolproof way to decide whether a man is FIFA presidential material. His yeah. ability, I mean, obviously, if you really make a horrible error in the middle of a Champions League or Euro 2016 draw, then that's obviously going to count against you. But I mean, if you're just a sturdy, you know, custodian of the balls, then, you know, I'm not entirely sure that's going to make a difference one way or the other. Yeah.
4: I mean, he's he's less likely to sort of make an off-colour remark or or start dancing with Anastasia or something than Seth Bladder was. That's true.
5: It's so, interesting. Given a couple of years in the job though.
4: As the World Cups were
3: being given to Russia and Qatar and while Seth Bladder was battling with Michel Platini, there seemed to be this growing sense, certainly Bladder like to put this across, that UEFA was yesterday's news. Hmm. Sure they're big, you know, there's a lot of countries there in Europe and they they have a certain amount of power, but everyone else hates them they're a little bit haughty, you know, they, they like to do things the old way, and this is a new world order, and, uh, and UEFA essentially will be left behind. I don't know if it's because of everything that's happened in the last year or two uh, with Bladder and with those, the more we learn about those bids, that has restored UEFA to the to being the central power. I mean, it's, it seems... Mm. Uh, and also, we're not even talking about Platini taking over. we're talking about Platini's... Um, Sale. You know,
4: it's, mm. it's kind of... Well, know, you know, I mean... I, I think that the world is different now from the way that it was when Blatter, when first Schwab avalanche and then Sepplader built up their uh, political empires in the world of football. The reason, one of the reasons why they were able to, kind of, why they were so effective at, at, at marshalling these big blocks of nations um, to vote for them and and kind of to hold on to their loyalty, was that they were really the only people who'd ever spoken to or or, or been, you know, they. In order to establish, you know, face-to-face contact or to, to establish kind of relationships with people, you would have had to go there, mm. you know. I don't really think that's necessarily... I mean, Infantino obviously was flying around a lot. But I think that the just the pace of information is, you know, so many millions of times faster now. It's possible for people to... I think people are making decisions with more information. Um, it's not necessarily the case of, oh, you know, Mr. Bladder was here two years ago and... That's pretty much the last we heard from FIFA, so obviously I'm still going to vote for Mr. Blatter. You know what I mean? It's it's a little bit different now. Everybody was aware of everything that had happened. Um,
3: it did still seem a little bit old school, though, the way, uh, as described there, uh, in our piece. I mean, going around, as you say, flying around to a lot of places, offering people loads of money. Mm. I mean, this you will be getting plenty from FIFA. Don't you worry about that. At a time when FIFA, earlier on that day, the FIFA's acting general secretary, or whatever it was, was saying, yeah... Budgets not great at the moment. We're quite a bit uh, below the projected sort of incomings that we thought income that we thought we'd be generating here. And at the same time, Infantino's going around telling everyone, "Yeah, we'll give you loads more money." I don't see how it works. Well, he
4: said to he, that uh, this is gonna this is gonna be quite easy because it comes out of our operating costs. And if you look at FIFA's operating costs, it is a huge chunk of their budget. I mean, they spend more on on self administration than they do on development of the game around the world right. <laughs> so <laughs> they spend a lot like it's not as though there's some wiggle
3: room in there you think if you look closely enough you could find enough to give to various federations
4: I think if you got you know a sort of um, 21st century management consultancy in to have a look at it they they might be able to come out after Trim a little session. bit of fat off <laughs> they might yeah. find some savings they might find some savings not everyone's going to like it but the savings are there
3: all right? If you missed, these
5: chairs be silver rather than gold. <laughs> if you missed our Patrick Cliver podcast
3: late last week, do get on that. We met him in London and ended up talking about his own career. Quite a bit of Van Hal uh, who gave Clyver his first coaching job at AZ Alkmaar, where they won the league. Obviously, they coached together at the World Cup for Holland, as well as the playing career that Clyver uh, enjoyed under Van Hal at Ajax Barcelona, the Dutch national team. So, lots to get stuck into there. If you are listening to this podcast via iTunes, make sure to leave a comment and a rating. I don't really know exactly what that does, to be honest, but Simon tells me it's mega important the for the iTunes charts the boffins have informed us. Yeah, exactly. yeah Shut up and read the line, is what Simon says to me before <laughs> every show. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken.
4: Thank you, Owen. to thank you, Kieran. Thanks, Karen.
3: again Thanks, guys. And thanks so much for listening. Phone is that? Uh,
2: That's the second time it's gone never They never go home. They never got